Soph, this is officially episode number 11 of the Jack and Soph podcast. It doesn't feel like we've done 11 episodes though. No, and 11 is a lucky number, right? It is a lucky number and it's the perfect number to do a holiday episode. Why? We're Well, we're a week away from Christmas, a couple weeks away from New Year, and so I think it's the perfect time on a Lucky Number episode to talk about all of the things that we learned in 2018 in sports, like what sports taught us this year. We did, well, one of our favorite videos was this video that we did last year at your apartment, and I think I wore a stupid Santa hat or deer ears or something dumb deer antlers I think we did I mean we did a lot of dumb things uh in those videos yeah. but I think it was something that we both had a lot of fun doing essentially picking certain things that happened in sports over the course of the year and talking about what they taught us but first I think that I mean when I look at the last year of both of our lives so much has changed mm-hmm. in the last year I mean this podcast didn't exist a year ago which is crazy I know it didn't exist 11 episodes ago it started in <laughs> September we went to San Fran that was so much fun obviously I went to New York you came to Toronto we did some goofy things we saw each other drunk at a bar yeah we what remember when we went to that all of our friends and we randomly bumped into each other at that one Wayne Dwayne Gretzky concert. Oh my gosh, I totally forgot about oh, Jackie. That. It was so fun. When was that? Uh, was that when we did the Jack and Soph Puck Talks? Yes, we did Puck and Talks we, in March. So it was March. And then we split and we then all of our friends ways. were at this place. Yeah. Yeah. That I was remember fun. that. I totally forgot till you just brought it up right now, but I do. Shout remember. out to your goofy friend Dave. Is that oh, his name? Dave. Who's, who's just like the goofiest, but I'll just leave it there. Yeah, well, yeah, because he probably did the t-shirt man thing, right? I don't know. He just did dumb things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what he does. He does dumb stuff. Uh, shout out Dave Ferris. Anyways, um, I also am sporting a new hair color. I know. I love. You know what? Week. I told You were scared when I commented on Instagram. I DM'd you and I, I wrote, whoa. And I know. And you like, is that good or bad? It's just shocking. It reminds me of day one when I met you at the score eight years ago, nine years ago. And you had really black hair. It looks it looks really good right now. It's lighter than that, but it looks dope. Yeah, it's not black. It's and it's gonna fade a little bit for any people listening that don't know how that works, aka most men. That it fades. Um, the first like I would say week after you get your hair colored, it's a lot darker than it's the final product is really gonna be. But I do. I'm I'm into it. I'm I digging get bored. It. I get very bored with the color. Yeah, of my you hair. just like, changed constantly. it. In the last, I'm not joking, in the last 12 months, I have been medium brown, caramel, red-ish auburn, and now I'm like dark chocolate brown. I would say leave it for now because it looks dope. But every time you change it, I'm like, oh, why'd she change it? And then I'm like, damn, it looks good. Damn. That is what happens. Don't it's like Jackie. when you go to get your hair cut or colored or extensions or whatever, your hair always looks the best the day that you're going to do that. Right. Yeah. And you're like, don't not you sure think? if you want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You you're always like, you're oh, like, damn. Should I? Should I? My hair looks good today. Do I really want to do this? Uh, weird. Problems. Life is weird. Anyways. Okay. So before we get into what sports taught us, so what, what, like, give me a couple highlights from your year career wise. Honestly, Jackie, so many things happened to me this year. One of my favorite things was covering the Olympics for the CBC. I was not in Pyeongchang, but still the marathon. 
at the in the studio was insane. I'm used to early mornings, but they were almost an hour earlier. I was up at like three, two thirty, three a.m. every day for thirty days straight, learning before that, studying for months about sports that I'd never covered, like luge or bobsleigh, and trying to become an expert, and then trying to deliver that in split second results on TV. So that was great. But obviously, the best part of that stretch was the surprise phone call I got from my boss in Pyeongchang. And I already told this story a million times, so I'll save it. I'll, I'll summarize it really quick. But I thought I was in big trouble. Like I thought I was in trouble when I was doing a broadcast because why would he call me? He just emails me. He's like, you need to call, uh, you need to meet with the president, I guess, uh, or the executive producer of CBC Sports now, like in 10 minutes. And I was like, oh crap. I thought I was in trouble. It turns out they gave me the opportunity to host Coach's Corner I guess co-host with Don Cherry, which was like still jaw. It was just unbelievable. And so that was the highlight of my life, my broadcasting life, highlight of anything I've ever done at work. And Don and Ron before then were amazing to me. Since then, even better. Um, Don has reached out via phone since, checking up on me, seeing how, how I'm doing. Ron, the same. I feel really, really blessed. And what I learned is imposter syndrome. If anyone doesn't know what that is, it's when you just don't think you're good enough for certain things is real. And I was like, I still don't think I was worthy of that opportunity, but you know, when you have the right people around you, surrounding you and supporting you in terms of good producer and a good co-host. And Don was so great with me. And you just know you got to believe in yourself and be like, I could do this. I'll be fine. It, um, you know, it was, it was cool. I don't know how to put into words. I'm like shocked still. No, I still remember when you text me telling me that you were going to do it. And I believe my response was like all caps, like shut the F up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And I remember you actually saying that you were really scared and, you know, being super understandably nervous about it. And me just being like, you are going to kill it. Like, what are you worried about? And you did. So you did a lot this year, including being on the ice when the cup was handed out. Like, what was your moment? Um, that's definitely up there in terms of not just this year, but my whole career. I mean, as you can relate to, I, hockey has always been something that I've wanted to cover. It's been something I've loved forever. So being on the ice, like just feet away from Alex Ovechkin lifting his first Stanley cup ever was, um, was an insane moment just from Ovi's standpoint to be a part of, Mm -hmm. but also just, kind of thinking back to when I first, first, first was deciding to sort of go for a career in sports and I had nothing and no connections and nobody knew who I was and I didn't have an in or anything like that and being like, I'm so grateful that I decided to go for this because now I'm here. In this Mm -hmm. moment, it makes all of the hard stuff, the adversity, the hate, the criticism, all of the tears, as you know, we've shared them together. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes all that stuff worth it when you have that one moment where you're like, man, this is what I always wanted and I actually am doing it right now. And so. it, it really does. Like for me, the the Don Cherry moment, for you, that moment being on the ice, it was right after or maybe in the middle of probably one of the most hardworking and busy times of your career. And it really reminds me that when I want something, you have to bust your ass. I wasn't, you know, working a regular eight hour shift and getting my weekends off when that call happened. I was like in the middle of being exhausted and tired and hustling. And I'm not saying that's always the healthiest way to go, but you remind yourself that anyone who's earned anything has most, most cases has really earned it. And you earn that moment. 
Yeah, there are, I would say, and I think you would agree, there are very, 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 very few people, if any, that I would say got lucky in this business. I would say... I can name a few, but 90, I'm going to leave that off I'm going to say, <laughs> let me just... I'm going to say 90% though of people that achieve success mm-hmm. in this business and many others, I think they don't... You don't just get opportunities by accident and you certainly don't... Um, you might get one opportunity by chance or by knowing somebody, but you don't create a legacy or have long-term success. Yeah based off of um, a connection or not working hard. Like in order to actually stay in business, I think you have to work really hard. Um, And even if, I mean, I would rather work hard and feel that moment of proudness for myself than have had that moment handed to me seven years ago when I first started in my first year being like, you're going to go cover the Stanley Cup final. I don't think I would have appreciated it as much as I did. A hundred percent. No chance. And if I was working regular hours or just like kind of off for a bit and I got the call, you just, you don't feel like you deserve it as much unless you hustle and grind and you know that you, you know, did your best. So blah, blah, blah. But that's yeah. what I learned. Also, I do have to give an honorable mention as well. Highlight of a year. I did an all-female edition of NHL Now. It was all female hosts, correspondents, analysts, player, former players, players, all of that. So that was also, that was just cool. That was just a cool thing. That is so dope. And I just love how the industry is becoming more and more inclusive. There's still some people who are asked to twerk, but I'm going to leave that off right now. But still, there are the good and the bad. Should we get to Ooh, our list? What? Wait, you mentioned the twerk thing. So can I just get something off my chest real quick one time? Yeah. Did you hear, and it has nothing to do with sports, so I'm sorry, you guys. But did you see what happened to Cardi B over the weekend? No, I saw that she had some... On Twitter, like she looks tired at an airport or something, which is so no, dumb. This, no, you have, what? no, you're okay. way off. Okay, I don't know <laughs> what is it. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if you know this, but Cardi and her baby daddy, Offset, her husband, mm-hmm. broke up. Oh, over a week ago, and she was performing at this rap, I believe, rap festival, some sort of music festival. And I'm sorry if my knowledge and facts is not totally up to date because I just focus on like 90% sports stuff. But from what I understand, she was the first female rapper ever to headline this event. Ever. Oh. Ever. Oh, whoa. And and Offset showed up, interrupted her set, and asked for her back. Like, just walked out on stage in the middle of her set (gasps) with flowers and was asking her back. And so many people called it a publicity stunt. But if you watch the clip, because it's on video... You can tell she wants nothing to do with it. She's like, what are you like? She's like, no, stop it. What are you doing? And it made me so mad because I'm like, here is a woman who has achieved so much in her life, Mm -hmm. you know, accomplished the unthinkable, goes from a stripper to an international superstar. Mm -hmm. She's making this historic, she's having this historic moment and somebody interrupts it her her ex interrupts it and takes that moment away from her and people are online saying that oh like she should forgive him that's romantic and I'm just like no it's not you're putting her in a position where you're you're manipulating her Mm -hmm. first of all you're taking a moment away from her Mm -hmm. that she deserves and and earned and we're gonna get to that in our list yeah and second you are manipulating her in the sense that you're doing this publicly in front of so many people that are going to put pressure on her to cave into what you want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When she's already told you that she 
doesn't want to be with you right and now. she's gonna look like the bad guy or bad girl or whatever she's gonna look like the bad one because yeah. she didn't embrace the gesture and it's like no like you i it just it made me so mad that is it made me so mad a far stretch from her being tired at the airport i obviously yes. do not read anything same thing when i'm on twitter i'm like okay put in a couple of hashtags for sports to catch up on what i missed and then i don't like i don't worry about pop culture unless it's in my face but i'm surprised i yeah. didn't see that and i totally i saw agree her with you i saw her name trending and i love her so i clicked on it anyways the whole point i'm getting at is um hashtag team cardi b like that was brutal if you want your girl back or your woman back first of all don't f up in the first place yeah like don't cheat on her in the first place and second is that what happened don't yeah second don't try to get her back by robbing her of a moment Mm -hmm. it's preach preach anyways i'm sure people are gonna give me hate for that but i don't really care uh to the countdown. To the countdown. We, we have 10. And we're to starting at 10, number, right? Yes. Yeah. We're starting with number 10. We've got 10 things that sports taught us this year. Some of these things are serious. Some of them are funny. Some of them are random. But regardless, it's our list. So we can do what we want. And number 10 is that the Philadelphia Flyers mascot, Gritty, taught us that in 2018, literally anyone can be famous. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, Gritty is... Without a doubt, the most famous mascot in sports, at least in North American sports, for sure. And he's a baby. He's one year old. I know. I mean, is he even one year old or is he a couple of months? No, he's like six months old. Not even. He's still born in September. Yeah, he's still a little wee tot. But how is he the most famous? Well, he's just the crazy thing about this whole story was that when they first announced or introduced the Flyers, that is, their mascot people despised him like I don't know if you were on social media that day so but people were ripping the flyers to shreds over this mascot just because he was like dumb looking or what well because he looked like a weird kind of drugged up (laughs) monster he was scary yeah and people just were kind of shocked if you look at other mascots in the NHL none of them are really like that and so but I guess the point I'm making is that he went from despised to beloved in about 24 hours. And it's just the whole timeline of events. Like his first appearance, he's falling and slipping on the ice, which was not planned. His first then, tweet was so dumb. It was it me. Yeah. It was, I mean, but people loved it. And right? then also on that first day, Gritty basically broke the internet by doing a spoof on the Kim Kardashian martini glass on the ass Mm -hmm. picture. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it was it was everyone saying how much they love Gritty and making memes. And then he's on talk shows. I mean, he's been on every morning show, late night show, news station. I mean, he's been everywhere. That is so unfair. I mean, talking about earning it, it's a mascot. So I'm just kind of playing here but think about all the other poor mascots that have been around forever and haven't had a chance I guess it's just the good marketing well yeah I mean the marketing team there apparently has said that they treat him like an SNL skit so they sit around and come up with these ideas of what they can tweet what videos they can do what he can do in appearances all this stuff the Flyers just need to do better so that he can be a big part of the playoffs gritty because you know he will be well I was gonna say gritty is the only thing the Flyers have got going going for them right now I feel so Um, bad for them we're not talking about the Flyers but being middle of the pack forever forever and with such good players like you know Clojure is one of my favorite Voracek like anyway I'm not gonna get into that but well I mean the other I know but the other thing about Gritty that just proves how 
crazy famous he is, is that people use Gritty now for their to push their political agendas. Okay, so explain this to me. So people have made at rallies and certain political rallies and stuff, people are using Gritty on their signs and in their memes and in their, like far right and far left are trying to use Gritty as sort of a face of their political views, which is just- But wait, why? Like how? how? Just because- he stands out or how do they use him incorporate him well they're using okay so if you look at gritty gritty is supposed to represent or you would say represent philly right blue collar um hard working gritty brotherly type of love person. yeah so that sort of side of the political spectrum understandably said oh this gritty character sort of represents some of the things this side of the spectrum believe in and so they started using it. And then, of course, anytime one side of the political spectrum starts using something, the other side has to try and take it away. So, yeah, I'm not a big politics person, so I don't know the intricate details. But if you Google gritty and politics, a whole bunch of stuff will come up. So basically for number 10, what we learned in 2018 is that anyone can be famous. Is that the lesson? Yes, that's the lesson. And also the Flyers have acknowledged that it's their goal to get Kim Kardashian to acknowledge Gritty. So Kim let's K. Let's start this. Let's She let's needs push to it. acknowledge. I will, I will legit bow down to Gritty if Kim Kardashian acknowledges him. Gritty. Okay, we're going we're gonna to start. I mean, I'm sure there is a hashtag, but I'm going to contribute to it. Can we move to number nine? We can do whatever we want. Okay, number nine, uh, Fergie singing. The national anthem at the All-Star Game. This video was viral. I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure you've heard it. She, uh, what, put her own spin on it, Jackie, and it didn't go over very well. There were a lot of people laughing. You have down, if you risk nothing, you risk everything, dot, dot, dot. But also, what (laughs) the F? WTF. Nobody. I don't think there was a single person that was like, no, you know what? That was a good take. I think the lesson is don't F with the national anthem. That's it. Just leave it. I like when choirs do it and kids do it and it's instrumental, but do not change it. I would say that nine times out of 10, people that have tried to change the national anthem have done so unsuccessfully. Yeah. There's been one or two artists that have tried to sort of do their own rendition or put a spin on it that have worked. But for the most part, I feel like people do not embrace it. I want to give a shout out to our producer, Sarah, because she had a good lesson from this as well. Mm -hmm. Just because you're a big star doesn't mean you're an (laughs) all-star. I mean, that was pretty funny. Um, Did you see the the Golden State Warriors like a month ago, maybe in October? And or October, November, whatever they there's a remake. There's a million remakes. So of that I anthem. was you literally just plucked out of my brain what I was going to what I was going to bring up what their hilarious video. So, yeah, of them in the dressing room. Yes. And they're they're all like jiving to yeah. this remix <laughs> version of Fergie's anthem, which I will say the remix version's not bad. Like it's kind of fun. I mean, I'm not listening it to on, on my Spotify. I'm not listening to it. But yeah, it's a hilarious video. I've watched I it mean, several times. I will say, Sarah, if we can, we should splice that into this podcast so people can hear it. Pretty funny. If you haven't, if you haven't seen it, and we don't throw it into this podcast, um, courtesy of our girl Sarah, then you should definitely Google it. You know what's funny? Uh, Nelly Furtado 
God bless her, Canadian, did the same thing with the Canadian anthem at the All-Star Game a couple years ago uh, in Toronto. Do you remember that? She also butchered the Canadian anthem. So, guys, lesson learned. Like, don't screw up, screw the anthem, especially if you're a star trying to come back into the limelight. Like, stop making it about you. I will say, though, with Nelly Furtado, I hold nothing against her because I saw him, saw her, excuse me, for free in concert one time downtown Toronto. Mm -hmm. On Earth Day, I believe, she did a free concert years ago. Her voice is she's dope. Honestly, ridiculous. No, she's so, dope. But I love. I just I had a moment at her concert, and so I hold nothing against her. All right, that's just me. I'm a hypocrite. It's fine. So, <laughs> number eight. Here we go. It's about to get serious. Okay. The Demar Derozan trade. Dun dun dun. And what we learned is pretty much that loyalty is dead. Dead. <laughs> dead. Dead in that industry, dead in our industry. I feel like dead everywhere. It's gone. In relationships, yeah. gone. Loyalty, gone. What are your thoughts? You said you were going to go off on this. Well, yeah. So I understand that it's a business and I understand a promise was made to DeMar DeRozan. I don't necessarily fault the Toronto Raptors for doing what they had to do. They felt it was the best decision for the team. But I will say that DeMar DeRozan's reaction to everything and being really upset about it and saying that he loved Toronto and wanted to stay there and believed that they could win and was loyal to the city until the end, considered it a home. Over the course of, you know, the week, two weeks that followed that deal, DeMar DeRozan became one of my favorite Toronto athletes mm -hmm. because especially when it comes to basketball, because he is one of the last of what I would say is a dying breed in the NBA. No, no player in the NBA is really loyal to their team anymore. Guys move all over the place. LeBron's in Cleveland. Then he's in Miami. Then he's back in Cleveland. Now he's in LA. It's like nobody is um, loyal to their franchise anymore I feel like it's just I'm gonna go wherever I can join a super team and win it win a championship and I understand that winning is important but especially for a place like Toronto which for so long the majority of its time as a franchise it was sort of the laughing stock of the NBA a place nobody wanted to go a place players didn't even take seriously when they traveled there to play for him to be that loyal to the Raptors I think was just something that I think for a lot of Raptors fans, they won't forget. And he will be beloved in that city for a really, really long time because of Forever. it. And, and, and for, I think people, DeMar DeRozan is an incredible basketball player, but I think people respect and love him and admire him in the city of Toronto and wherever else um, people cheer for the Raptors because of the way that he held it down for that city so okay so I am 100% on um you know team DeMar DeRozan and it was really crappy what happened but the only thing is you know Masai Ujiri says that he made that promise before the Kawhi Leonard deal was even on the table so I just want to throw it out there like what do you do though if you're like no I mean I, I couldn't see an opportunity I couldn't see a reason why we trade you because you're just the best we've got right now or I love the you chemistry don't, you, you don't promise don't you don't make a promise you can't keep. That's what you do. Maybe that's like, the lesson it's learned. It's like being like, yes, I promise we're going to be exclusive. And then three days later, you cheat on your boyfriend or your girlfriend. 
oh, I didn't know I was going to meet this hot chick at the bar. I mean, oh, my hands are clean. Like, no, you okay, make but a promise, not, you keep it. it. No, I agree. Like, I definitely agree with you, but I just like playing devil's advocate because it makes for better radio. I'm just saying I understand Masai Ujiri's uh, decision to make a deal. I get it. But don't make the promise if you can't keep it. No, just for don't sure. Just say it. Just but, don't even put yourself in that situation. But back to your analogy, if you did meet someone, you're like, okay, we're going to date. And then you went to a bar and then you, or bar, bad example, but whatever. You met someone that it was way more your soulmate or whatever. You would probably make the move too. I, I am on team tomorrow, but I'm just saying he made a deal. He shouldn't have promised and maybe he'll learn. Maybe he will learn. He's supposed to be the GM of the people. Everyone loved him when he came in. Players loved and him. And I love Masai too, but I think... Obviously, he didn't communicate very well to Damar if Damar felt the way that he felt about the way that went down. In the same, in the same token, by the same token, though, the way that Kyle Lowry handled the trade, I totally thought was And is bull. still handling it. I thought Interview it was Interview with bull. Rachel Nichols and still going on. He's just yeah. a GM. I'm just I a think, player. Yeah, to me, like looking at the way Kyle Lowry has handled it, I, I think he's being a child. I think personally. I said that at the beginning. Or a and I... And let me, I, I want to put this on the record because I don't, I mean, this is a podcast people will listen to and either like hate tweet me or tweet Kyle Lowry saying that I hate him. I've met Kyle Lowry numerous times. I think he's a wonderful human being mm-hmm. and I get that that's his best friend. That's his boy and he's upset, but I just think he's in the wrong in this case. I just think it's something that you, you can be mad at and you can be vocally and verbally mad at it at the beginning, like in the summer and maybe even the first time you're asked about it in the beginning of the season. But after that, let it go or at least keep it to yourself. Right? Yeah, it's it's a tough subject because I also believe in saying how you feel and being candid and being honest because we don't but like get you, it from, we've already heard it. We don't Say get it, it from Say we don't it get once. it from athletes a lot. But yes, he's dragging it on for a really long time. Yeah. And DeMar DeRozan isn't really. I mean, if he's asked about it, he answers it. And maybe that's the case for Kyle. Maybe he feels like, listen, if someone asks me, I'll talk about it. But I just thought initially the way he handled it, you know, was kind of yeah crappy I know but I go back and forth on it all the time it's a very tough subject uh yeah you do you've gone back and forth on it in this I've gone back and forth on this but yeah on this podcast lesson learns or lesson learned I mean yeah lesson learned number eight is loyalty is dead number seven expect the unexpected in the NHL I feel like this is a lesson for the last million years the NHL is so um the parody blah 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 I feel like that word is so overused and it just sounds like a broken record but but I feel like this year more than other years or the last two years I should say more yeah it's been more insane just because what like for me I I mean up here we we focus a lot on the Canadian team so Montreal playing way better than expected Ottawa not great but not the worst Vancouver up and down Edmonton now on this hot streak although they're they have the talent that they should be Winnipeg's still good but they were bad for or they were uh, slumping for a while Calgary this is maybe this is like sort of um an illustration of us being in different markets but I when I talk when I think about expect the unexpected with the NHL at least recently I think the examples you're giving have been some a tr- something that we see a lot where teams kind of exceed expectations mm-hmm. but I was referring more to the fact that the Vegas Golden Knights went to a cup final and last year and the Colorado Avalanche went from being legit one of the worst teams in the history of the NHL like not just bad oh you missed the playoffs or oh you finished last in the league historically record wise one of the worst teams Mm -hmm. 
in NHL history Mm -hmm. as far as the stats are concerned. And the following year, they're in the playoffs. Nathan McKinnon's in the conversation for the heart. All of a sudden, they're turned around. And now this year, people talk about them like they're a contender. It's crazy that you can turn your team around that quick or even Buffalo we had um you know we had talked about them and even if they're gonna make the playoffs uh with Matthew Barnaby and he was like ah you know they might get close and then they have their crazy hot streak they had Jeff Skinner which I was like ah poor Jeff because I love him I was like he's got to join the Sabres and look at them now like I I do love that I mean I think everyone loves that about the NHL is how different it could be right every year year to year I think that's the I think the NHL has always had more parity than other professional leagues like the NBA. But I would say even in the last few years, it's even increased. It's so weird to see and talk about Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane as just that team being so bad. We just talked about Philly. They've been like middle of the pack forever on the outside looking in barely. Um, But even the Pittsburgh Penguins, it is pretty crazy to see the eras kind of like changing. The other thing, too, which, I mean, shocked me, and maybe it's just from being born and raised a Leaf fan and just expecting disappointment all the time, but I never would have thought John Tavares would actually go to the Leafs. Right? Because we've I, seen... Especially three years ago. I'm like, no chance. And every year it's someone, right? Oh, Steven Stamkos is going to Turn it down. Oh, uh, this person's going to go to the Leafs. And they never do it. Yeah. No, I because you know what? I, I wonder if... Well, actually, Steven's so, probably so happy in Tampa. But they weren't ready for the superstar yet. Patrick Marlowe made a huge difference. Obviously, Austin Matthews. And then a couple years of padding that out. But I was also surprised that Tavares signed. I thought for sure he was going to say no. Yeah, even seeing how good the Leafs were last year, I still remember saying on my show on NHL Network that he's not going to the Leafs. There's no way. Like, he'll go to the Sharks or he'll go somewhere else. He's not going to go to T.O. So when it happened, I was just blown away. Uh, we didn't mention this in the loyalty thing, and maybe we've there the conversation around the sense has been is dead, but that whole thing with everything in the off season to off the ice and the Uber stuff, like, oh my God, that franchise, will the drama ever end? It's not on our list, but uh yeah, that whole situation, I don't even know what I've learned from that. That maybe like no that Matt Duchesne. No Matt Duchesne. Poor Matt Duchesne, but <laughs> At least he's living close to home. I don't know. Whatever. Um, But I will say that if I'm having a bad week or a bad day, or even if I think I've had a bad show or a bad segment, um, I have this joke now with one of my friends that I'm like, well, at least I'm not the Sens. Yeah, right? (laughs) Like, at least I'm not having as bad of a week as the Senators or as bad of a year as the Senators. Um, So, So, I mean, use that for positivity. But moving right along to number six. Number six, the Leafs and Nylander played hardball, which teaches us. This actually is one that you came up with, so I'll let you explain. Couples should put deadlines on arguments. Why did the Nylander contract situation make you think that? I was just thinking, and we have seen this uh, fail and go the other way, that when you put a deadline on something, sometimes there's no agreement made. But the Nylander thing was done with, what, eight minutes to spare, we were talking about it in the off season and all this anticipation and finally it happened. So I was thinking the next time you're fighting with someone, put a deadline on it and be like, okay, (laughs) we disagree. So let's give each other a week. We won't talk or maybe we'll just keep calling each other, texting each other, trying to fight. But at 5 PM on Sunday, December, whatever, 9th, if we can't figure it out, 
we're moving on from this argument or breaking up or whatever. But uh, well, if yeah, here's the here's the problem with your argument. You, if there's going to be a deadline, there needs to be a consequence of the deadline. So with Nylander, it was if you don't come up with a deal, you and the team, then you can't play this year mm-hmm. in the NHL. So what would it be for a couple that you break up? No, it just depends on who has more leverage. Like, if you've got more leverage in the argument, I don't know. It's hard to pick. No, like, see, flawed. Because then you're arguing over who has more leverage. No, you could still do it. Like, you could be like, um, what if you're arguing about chores? And you can find examples of you doing more of them and use that <laughs> as leverage. I don't know. I think, just, I think putting a deadline on an argument is a good idea because A, you take time to do your own thing. And then B, it shows you how much you really want it to work. Because if the other person's like, I'm still not coming to a deal, then you're like, you know what? F you. I'm out of here. See, that sounds to me like, listen, I don't disagree with the deadline thing, but it sounds to me like you want a deadline for the other person to agree with you. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't, I tend not to bend. Uh, Lee, what up? <laughs> Poor Lee. <laughs> um, he's listening to this like, oh, brother. It always does. Yeah. He's yeah. like, he's like pump the brakes. So pump <laughs> the brakes. Uh, okay. But what's your takeaway from this? Uh, what we learned with the Nylander and holding out deal? Um, I don't know. I just think that we're at a time in the NHL where I think for, Here's what I'll say about this. I think for a long time, the NHL was the league where players were loyal to their teams more so than what you see in baseball and basketball and even football. I think players are much more loyal or over the grand scheme of things over the last long period of time. That's been the league where players want to stay with their team. They don't want to leave. You very, very rarely see a superstar player like I'm talking superstar leave their team in free agency. It's very rare. I remember the numbers when Tavares went to the Leafs in free agency. All the numbers were crazy. Like he wasn't traded. He chose. He mm-hmm. left his team by choice. And he's the biggest name to do that um, in a long time. Again, I'm talking about free agency. So don't tweet me about players leaving their team in trade. Because it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that what I've taken away from Nylander and a, a few different negotiations over the last two seasons is that that is starting to change and players in the NHL are starting to think more long-term about their family, about their finances, about their health even. And I think that that's something that we haven't always seen in the NHL in terms of players putting their own finances and the future of their families ahead of I want to play for the Leafs forever or I want to play for the Red Wings forever. So I think we're seeing a little bit more of that you know what I forgot to mention you just reminded me so one of my new favorite athletes that I have uh, had the pleasure of meeting is TFC goalkeeper Alex Bono and Jackie he listens to every one of our episodes and he actually Hi, Alex. always sends me feedback and when we were doing the, the last did show, he send any bad feedback no he's always just like I like this point <laughs> I don't like this point. or he's like I disagree here this is my take and it's always really insightful and obviously he's an athlete and so he has some really good points and the last one he made and I told him I'd bring it up if it was fitting and it totally is was about our whole Nylander uh, podcast when we talked about contracts and he said you know what so in my experience these days more and more as money's becoming more of an issue and being pumped into different leagues is some of his friends who are athletes and people he's seen when they're younger he said 
they will fight for money. They are like, they don't see, they're just looking at like money, 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 and how to be the biggest, not all of them, but how to be a big star and how to make the most of their contract, blah, blah, blah. When they're older and they haven't won a championship, that's when they're like, I'll take less. I'll play in a place that I want to win. Um, and that the attitude and the mentality is if they haven't won when they're young, totally changes and they take a step back. And Tavares for sure, we don't know for sure, but he took less money to play in Toronto because A, he wanted to be here and uh, I don't think he to took win. less money. I think I I no, don't know. If we I don't can... think he took. I don't think he took less money. He sure? is making a shit ton in signing bonuses. He's making like eleven million a year, which you can't even get in the in the way that the CBA is written up. There's a max, isn't there? Yeah, but okay, maybe he didn't. Maybe I can't use the argument. Anyways, point less. is, point is, I get what you're saying in terms of had John had a player like John Tavares. I mean, we're not accountants; we don't know all these things. But had John Tavares won a cup in the first five years of his career, mm-hmm. maybe he doesn't leave. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't in that situation, and I actually think it's a really good point um, by Alex. Thank you for listening. Yeah, Alex, that. That changes everything, right? Because, and I've talked to actually different players at NHL Network about this too. Your mindset is different when you spend 10 years playing and you haven't won and you realize how bad you want to win, how hard it is to win. When you win early in your career, you have won already. And there are players that are super competitive and want to win the championship again. And there are others that are simply like, well, now I can just make money and live it up and I've won the cup and or won the championship. I think you always want to win. Now I can just win, live it up. But I you think you want, always want to win you again. you want to win, yeah. but the desperation is not the same. Totally. Because you've done it. And, and that's, I, I'm, not even, I'm not even criticizing anyone for that. That's that's just human nature. Yeah, and when I can... You've, when you've gone to Disneyland, your urge to go there again <laughs> is not the same as when you have never been. And I could see his point of being a young 18, 19, 20-year-old 21 and whatever and signing and just thinking about the max you can make for your career because it could be short-lived versus having played for 10 years in whatever sport and then being like okay money doesn't buy happiness we've made that point before let me try to win so but I I will say one one more thing on this and there's so many layers to this because obviously every single individual is different yeah. and has a different viewpoint and comes from a different background which is another thing that we've talked about in terms of you know, wanting more money or pushing for more money. But you don't get to a professional league without being a super competitive person that really believes in themselves Mm -hmm. and believes in their ability. Mm -hmm. And I would be hard-pressed to believe that if you're playing on a team and you're playing well and you're producing and you look around and other players that are playing at a similar level or a similar output offensively, that you would accept less than what they're getting because you're going, hang on a second. If you're worth that much, then I should be worth that much because I'm X, Y, Z and I've done this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. So I understand it's, I understand too that some people feel slighted when they see what someone else in the same league as them doing the same thing gets paid more. And then your expect your team expects you to settle for less. There's a lot of things that come into play. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wh- who you're being surrounded with and et cetera, et cetera. But there are a lot of layers to this argument, but what was, I think we got muddled on the lesson overall. What was the lesson from this? Well, yours set was set a deadline couple, when you are yours. <laughs> yours was that couples should set a deadline to okay. solve arguments, which I proved was flawed. 
And then I said, <laughs> love you so. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I said um, that I think it proves in the NHL at least that things are changing. Mm-hmm. And that players are more willing than they used to be to leave their team. Uh, number five, Tiger Woods earns his first PGA Tour win in five years. 99% of people thought it would never happen again. Mm-hmm. And for me, it just proves that anything is possible. And the harder the battle, the sweeter the victory. You know what I mean? Not- because this was his most hard fought win of his career. It was, it was a personal win too. I mean, he had gone through so much, you know, crap in his life and, and much of it at, you know, his own fault. And, you know, he's put those demons away and, and people have forgiven him, but he has gone through so much, including physical pain. So it was like a personal victory, a sports victory, an emotional victory. And you said, you said moral victory, 99% of people thought it would never happen again. And it's funny because 99% of people hoped it would happen again. I mean, Maybe not that many, but I so was many. Say, maybe were not ninety nine percent, but a lot of golf fans for sure were rooting for him. An image to that do it again. An image that will never leave my mind. And this is what I love about sports, especially in photography. There is video, but in photography as well, was when people the the mass of people, the sea of people, was just following him on the course, up the fairway. Oh, yeah. it was just like it's still breathtaking and mind blowing when you watch it. It's crazy footage and. I think, too, that it proved once again that golf is never as exciting as when Tiger Woods is in the mix. Because if you recall, too, there was a couple of events leading up to this one. Yeah, yeah. Where he was, he was he was close. He was in the mix. And mm-hmm. and in both of those situations, you know, he hit a bad shot or he what a lot of people online called choked. Like, oh, you made me believe. And then you choked at the end and you couldn't do it. So it was just crazy to see that he finally accomplished it, something that no one thought would happen. And I remember him talking about there was a time he couldn't even get out of bed without help. That's Mm -hmm. how much pain his back was in. Mm -hmm. So just a crazy moment, a moment that will go down in history probably as one of the best victories or at least one of the most intriguing victories. Oh, for sure. In golf history just because of his story. And it's just the ultimate story of... And I know there are still people that that dislike Tiger for what happened in his past. I'm not one of those people. I've been very vocal about that in the past that I think people deserve second chances and forgiveness. But he, I mean, you want to talk about hitting rock bottom. Yeah. Tiger Woods was like, yes, yes. His actions led to a lot of this. I get it. So I'm just going to preface this with that. But publicly humiliated. His entire private life exposed to everyone. Mm -hmm. Ridicule, not just for a couple of weeks. We're talking years Mm -hmm. of ridicule and public shame and his injuries. He goes through a divorce. Failed marriage. I'm sure that that could not have been easy, not just for him and his ex-wife, but for his kids. Um, Your texts were being exposed, what he was texting people. Yeah, like getting pulled over for for the, I believe it was prescription drugs. DUI I mean he hit rock bottom Mm -hmm. and somehow was able to not only come back physically and win a tournament win a professional golf tournament dealing with all of the crazy injuries and the the severity of his back Mm -hmm. 
But also, I give him credit just for being able to show his face. I in was public. just going to say, mean, Jackie, so many people forget that when, first of all, if you were ridiculed, and even if your small group of friends or family or coworkers found out, it would be very hard to live through that. And all the pressure of the entire world paying attention to your mistakes and and from a distance pointing the finger and being like you're evil you suck you're a terrible person and surviving that and coming out on top in the sense of like you said being able to show your face or just uh uh getting through that with all like the all this public attention on you is not easy. Like, oh, anyone listening couldn't argue that if their close friends and family found out, they wouldn't have an easy time getting over it. Let me put it this way, Soph. There are people, as we speak, and over the next two weeks for sure, who will go to their work holiday parties, Mm -hmm. get too drunk, do or say something embarrassing that is not even close to the magnitude of what happened to Tiger Woods or Mm -hmm. what Tiger Woods did to himself. And they won't show up for work the next day because they're embarrassed. Yeah. Think about that. There are so many people and it's fine. I'm not judging anybody. It happens. People embarrass themselves and they don't go to work or school or whatever because they're embarrassed and they don't want to see people or think people are talking about, you know, oh, you got so drunk and then you fell over or whatever happened. Yeah. Or said something dumb. You know, or said something dumb or made a dumb joke. Like just whatever the case may be. I'm obviously just making stuff up right now, but the fact that there are people that wouldn't go to work or school after something like that have the audacity to criticize Tiger Woods. I just give him credit for even being able to put himself back in that world and show his face, mm-hmm. knowing that could you imagine the whispers that probably happened behind him back behind his back in the same room as him when he entered a room for the first first time publicly or just even battling it with yourself like for even if you did lock yourself up in a room for a a year just battling with that and the physical pain yeah and blah 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 either way it was a pretty ridiculous story I was gonna touch on Tiger I'm happy for him I'm happy for him I was gonna touch on Tiger versus Phil and that how hyped up that was for months and it just ended up being a pretty average golf match it wasn't I still great. like it yeah I mean it was okay I, I have nothing really to say about that except that uh it was h- overhyped cool but meh that's where I'm gonna leave it sure number four me Ooh, no me yeah you okay <laughs> you said number four like as if you were teeing it up on a silver platter okay well we're gonna so Jackie and I before we started recording this podcast we always just chat for a bit you good whatever how's your day what are we gonna talk about blah and we started to get into it with this one. And so this should be good. Uh, this is the Serena Williams scandal at the U.S. Open where, um, you know, she was very emotional, very vocal and took over the match because she was disagreeing with the chair umpire, Naomi Osaka. It was her moment. Grew up idolizing Serena, facing her, ended up winning it. And um, this one's a hot one between Jackie and I. Actually, I'm going to agree with everything Jackie says, but I, again, I have a spin zone on it. So maybe you should make your comments first, and then I'll tell you how I feel about uh, about them. Well, I mean, really, all there is to say is that it was a crazy moment this year in sports, and... Um, for me, I think the whole thing, whether regardless of what side of the argument you fall on, it proved that what constitutes good and bad sportsmanship is a very, very gray area because there were very loud sides on both sides of the argument making their voices heard when this happened. I mean, the takes on Twitter were 
crazy and they ranged all over the place. But to me, listen, I don't disagree with Serena standing up for herself. I also don't hold, I don't um, hold anything against her for feeling the way she felt. She has a right to feel how she felt. She felt that she was being treated unfairly because of her sex, because she's a, a woman. And I think she has a right to that opinion. She has a right to feel that way. And she might even be right. And that's not anything that I care to debate today. Mm-hmm. My issue with the whole thing was that because of the way she handled it, which was her choice, mm-hmm. The entire match, the entire thing became about her, not about Osaka. And And Osaka cried. I thought that was a damn shame. Mm -hmm. I thought it was awful. I felt bad for her. I still feel like people don't talk about her when they talk about the US Open now. They still talk. I mean, look what we're talking about right now. Yeah. We're not talking about, oh my gosh, um, you know, Osaka won her first um, major title in tennis. And then she wins it against her idol. What a crazy story. No, we're still talking about the fit that Serena threw and whether or not she had reason to throw that fit mm-hmm. is one thing, but she chose to do it in the match and she took, she, she took that moment away from Osaka, regardless of her getting on the mic at the end and saying, this is about her. Congratulations. Like good for you, but you already ruined it. Yeah. Yeah. She was definitely trying to backpedal. Um, or maybe not, maybe that's not the right word choice of words. I don't think she regret regretted it, but a hundred percent seeing Osaka the way she couldn't even accept the victory. She didn't really want to have a speech, give a speech like that was heartbreaking to see. And she still, I read an article legit yesterday where Osaka made a comment and I'm not sure if it was if it was yesterday or if it was a few weeks ago or whatever but it was after the event was over and in the past and she said she doesn't even like to think about it that's because it's a it's a bad memory for her Mm -hmm. those are her that's not me making an opinion she said that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's not pleasant it's not pleasant for her and I don't think that's right I wonder if Serena um has reached out to her since I'm sure I'm I'm sure she's tried I I don't know but a good question it, it is you know what I guess it's hard to, to debate that. I, my only spin on this one is just that, you know, I'm an avid tennis fan. You know, actually, tennis is my favorite sport first. And that I've played a lot of it and I've watched a lot of it. And I was tra- kind of trying to make this analogy. We know that, let's say, in hockey, the same calls that are made in the regular season aren't made in the playoffs. But it's not even that kind of an example that I want to go for. I want to say that I want to give a ridiculous percentage of like 80 to 85 to 90 percent of the time, at least on a major scale. I don't watch all the smaller tournaments, but on such a huge stage on the verge of history, um, these calls or the the penalty that was penalized for Serena doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen in tennis. And for that chair umpire to make that ruling there and then penalize her for being emotional because she spoke out and talked back when so many other players, women and men, the John McEnroe's of the world, even Djokovic, Nick Kyrgios have talked back and said far worse, including swear words. And to get penalized for that, it just was like, you know what? It's almost the chair umpire from his fault for making it about him. I mean, she took over, but like, why did you interfere with the match like that? At Here's that my moment? thing. 
Here's my thing. And I think that there are a lot of justified opinions on the fact that when he thought that she was talking to her coach or signaling with Mm -hmm. her coach or whatever, that he had the choice in that moment to give her a warning. Mm -hmm. They call it a soft warning in tennis. And he didn't. And I think the criticism of that decision is fair. However, what I will say is the second that he penalizes her for that, she has to know where his head is at, that he is being strict, that he is enforcing the rules very harshly in the match. You, Serena Williams has been around long enough to know that you have to read the chair umpire in the situation. Mm-hmm. And if the chair umpire makes that call, then you need to control yourself and not smash your racket. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you smash your racket. There a lot of male tennis players have been penalized for that. Not all the time. I will agree with you. But, like, Nick Kyrgios has been penalized a bajillion times. He's also been pep-talked a bajillion. Oh, well, not a bajillion. Sure, He's also been pep-talked. But sure. But to compare that to this, unless it's the same chair umpire that you can compare, then I don't think it's fair. And I think it was Simona Halep, I believe, that said, you know, obviously it became a story. And a lot of these female tennis players were asked if they thought that it was justified what happened. And there were some on Serena's side that said, yeah, I think that they do enforce it, the rules harder on girls. And there were other players that said that they didn't agree, that they felt that this particular chair umpire is known as a rigid umpire, someone that enforces the rules. That is his personality. That's his reputation. And I just thought Simona Halep put it really, really well. She said, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially she said, the rules are the rules. So whether he's being harder on you than a different player or or than he was in a different match, you still broke the rules. Mm-hmm. So you can't say you don't deserve a penalty if you broke a rule that's in the rule book. So you can't, like to me, yes, you can feel like he's treating you unfairly or he's treating you differently than he treats other players. That's justified and I'm not disagreeing with that. Mm-hmm. But after the initial initial call was made against her, She's she is smart enough and professional enough to know that she probably should have kept herself in check because he had already indicated that he was going to implement the rules strictly. And instead, she yelled at him and she She didn't really she yelled at him after. But what she really got pissed off about was because the first warning, the soft warning or whatever it ended it. You you get a certain limit. So it ends up trickling. It ended up affecting the point penalty and then the game penalty, which was yeah, like but when the, she, she lost it. She smashed her racket. I mean, listen, you can't, if you're breaking rules, mm-hmm. you know what? Someone used to always say this to me when I thought that I didn't deserve a certain criticism, whether it was the way I laughed on air at jokes. I remember people would criticize me mm-hmm. or, um, just different things in my life and in my career that some people liked, some people didn't like because being on air is very subjective. Some people think you're great. Some people think you're terrible. Mm -hmm. And I remember dealing with that early in my career and having someone say, don't give people a reason. Don't give someone a reason to To criticize you for this. Yes. Mm -hmm. So she gave like, she gave him a reason. Yeah. Yeah. She gave him a reason. Yeah. And I just think, I respect her so much because she has done so much for the sport and so much just for women in general. I respect Serena Williams. And I, I'm not saying even that she's wrong in her stance. What I'm saying is that she could have handled it with a little bit more class 
and she could have addressed the way she felt in her press conference after the match, which every tennis player does every after every single match. I she wonder, did not have to throw the fit that she threw. I wonder, and I understand that history was on the line. I get it. Yeah, history was on the line. But I'm wondering if Osaka, um, you know, and I would have been like on the floor crying if that was me uh, playing my idol and then you know the crowd and everything it was just such a terrible moment for her in what should have been a beautiful moment but let's say she um didn't cry let's say she wasn't upset let's say she was just as fiery and was like yes after every point she was winning after that and it was like her moment and she raised that I don't know it's a trophy or I think it's yeah it's a trophy not a plate and she you know was just celebrating me like this was the best moment of my life even after that controversy would we still be talking about it this way it's more about what you said at the beginning was Serena took away from her moment and that's why people hate Serena for this particular I don't think I don't hate Serena no maybe or that's why people are criticizing her but if Naomi Osaka was like yeah like didn't it didn't affect her emotionally at all was very proud of this moment I wonder if maybe people would start would would criticize Serena less for what had happened because that was really what she did she robbed Osaka yeah and I'm listen I will also say I don't think it was Serena's intent to steal that moment from her Mm -hmm. you don't become Serena Williams by not being extremely passionate and competitive Mm -hmm. and obviously I think Serena was really upset that she wasn't in a position in the end to win that match yeah so I think I understand where Serena's coming from, but I think I just feel so bad for Osaka. I don't know. I'm proving I'm a hypocrite again because now I'm like, well, I mean, I get it. You're really passionate and competitive and in the moment she lost her cool, but we all know too how big a part of I mean sports are mental all sports are but especially tennis we know how much the mental game plays into every single match yeah and I just think in that one Serena let the moment get the better of her yeah and it cost her in the end yes that's the bottom line whether you think there was sexism involved or not and that's why let it get to the winners uh the proven winners over and over again and she is one of them but um know how to keep their cool and she has in other matches that I've watched been really really pissed off and kept her cool to a certain extent she's also exploded before but honestly I feel like we can go on this one forever (laughs) we We are both team Osaka so let's move on to number three So number three, I tweeted out over the weekend that we were doing this and we were going to talk about what sports taught us this year. And we got a response from one Mr. James Hinchcliffe. What up? So I'm going to read it. He basically said, when faced with adversity, you learn who your team is. The wrong team points fingers, makes excuses, falls apart. The right team motivates, pushes harder, and comes back better. We failed to qualify for the Indy 500, and I'm proud to say my team was the latter. Made us closer and stronger. So first of all, thank you, James Hinchcliffe, for the response to the tweet. Mm-hmm. We appreciate it. We love you. We think you're the best. Um and basically what I learned from this is that James Hinchcliffe is the best. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, already, I already thought that he was. But um, I just think it's a really solid point that he's trying to make. And I think there are numerous examples in sports that the teams and the people that have to overcome adversity, in the end, it's that adversity. It's that um, 
those hills that you have to climb that make you stronger in the end. And I think it's something that could be applied really to anything in life. Anything, relationships, career, sports, family, 100%. And he said it very well. And that we have seen um, weaker personalities. We're Here we are talking about strength and perseverance and Tiger Woods and overcoming. Um, you know, the negative of not coming together and learning from it and, and what can happen when you fall apart. So, yeah. You know. And I think too, like, not to go back to the Tiger thing, but Tiger said after winning that that event that he appreciated it more than he would have in the past because of everything that he went through. And he understands how grateful he is to be out there playing professional golf after everything that he has gone through, even just physically. So it definitely, you know, experience teaches us things. And, you know, Tiger Woods had to go through a lot to sort of learn a couple of lessons. But in the end, he's probably a better person and he even looks at that win and says you know i understand now how lucky i am and how grateful i am for everything i've been able to do and and that win meant a lot to him for those reasons i mean you look at the capitals and everything that they had to do and go through to finally win which brings us to number two, and it plays right into James' point okay. about the adversity. Yeah, but like I was just about to say, I'm not ready for number two. I want to say something still about number three. Okay, sorry. Do you ahead. watch This Is Us? Um, I do, but I'm behind. Okay. Well, basically, Kevin, you'll know this at the beginning. He's one of the brothers. Um, is like a, like good looking, gets all the girls, is hot, and has a, his own show and blah blah blah. And at some point in the show, I'm only making this as a reference because I love it. He talks about how he's like super depressed because he doesn't feel like he deserved or earned any of it. So there's my reference to that. Just to say, when you go through, you know, she is the the victory is sweeter at the end. Now you can talk about number two, which also plays into the point. Ovechkin finally and the Capitals I'll say because there's other core players on that team that that were there a long time Ovi and the Caps finally win the Stanley Cup and what we learned what everyone learned is that the best things in life are worth the wait I mean I just will never forget the look and the way that Ovi acted once that game was over and it was official yeah and they won the cup. It was like thir- over a decade of pressure, um, criticism, uh, criticism, frustration, yeah, uh, impatience. All of that was just like the weight was finally lifted. He finally won the cup in a moment. And I in a think snap. I would take that Stanley Cup final and everything that followed and everything that we got to witness the Caps go through, not just in the final, but the entire playoffs getting there. I, even just as a fan of Ovechkin, think it's so much better than if he had won in year three of his career. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And you know what? Uh, imagine, and I know the Vegas Golden Knights weren't comp, um, you know, made up of brand new players into the NHL, all of them uh, with experience and deserve to be there. But imagine if that franchise had won versus Ovi, who had tried to be there a million times. Like, I don't know what kind of spiral he would have gotten into, but that would have been hard uh, to get out of. But Jackie, you know, he's been my favorite player for such a long time. Um, I'm Team Canada all the way, but I love Ovi 
uh, you know, he didn't do well in the Olympics. Then there was no hockey in the Olympics. I was like, is this guy ever going to win something? And he cannot go down as one of the greatest players in the NHL without hardware other than the awards that he's won without the Stanley Cup. So having his name on there and just, you know, I was so jealous of you being there on the ice just because you could probably feel his energy from a mile away watching him scream cry kiss and cheer and it's 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 funny because we just talked about Serena Williams taking a moment away because of her um attitude away from other people it's I don't think anyone's even mad that all the attention is on Ovi you know Braden Holtby TJ Oshie and there are so many players on uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov that deserve and that have also been through all that crap the franchise has gone through that deserve it as well but none of them are like you're taking away my spotlight everyone understands and empathizes with the Ovi. And I think, too, I think a lot of those guys, the Backstroms, the Holtbees, the guys that have been with him for a while, understand that he shouldered the load of that criticism. Yes, yes, Like, he did. yes, the Capitals were called choke artists and all, and they all had to deal with that. Oh, you can't beat the Pens. Oh, you can't win. But it was always Ovi at the centerpiece of those criticisms. It was always Ovi's not a leader. Ovi can't win. Ovi doesn't care. Ovi's not passionate. Mm-hmm. And not only he did he finally... He doesn't pass enough. Yeah, like, not only did he finally prove that he can win, I think he also showed everyone exactly how passionate he is. I don't know. I mean, name someone that was, that's that been happier to win the Stanley Cup. I'm not saying other people haven't been as happy, but he was so happy and yeah, so relieved and uh, I mean has it had to be and this goes for all the capitals had to be the craziest Stanley Cup party celebration in the history of the is league. that number are we going to number one then at least publicly it was I don't know is that number one I on think number list? one oh, was yeah, ain't no is. party like an Ovi party yes yeah like, so I don't know if it could ever be topped I mean wait Ovi wait. we didn't give this a real let's like take a breath and talk Number one, we just rolled into number one, but number one is ain't no party like an Ovi party. Go ahead, Jackie. Take it away. The fountains, the chugging. They changed the rule. They changed the rules with how you're allowed to party with the Stanley Cup because Ovi partied so hard and the team with the Stanley Cup. Like he officially changed the rules. I've said this numerous times. Bobby R. Bobby Orr. Bobby R. Bobby R. (laughs) Bobby Orr has his statue outside of of TD Garden. And it's epic from his epic, like, flying through the air goal. Goal, yeah. I think Ovi, they should put a statue in that fountain of Ovi doing (laughs) snow angels in the water. That was my favorite Because the imagery, I mean, never in a million years (laughs) did I expect to see these guys get into a fountain in public. No. Wasted off their asses. Wasted, yeah. Doing water angels or snow. I don't even know what to call them because it's like a a thing that's never been done Walking down the street, screaming, (laughs) drinking in public, chugging out of the top of the cup. The parade. Can we talk about the we're not going to effing suck suck this year? No, sorry. It was we're not going to be effing suck this year. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not going to be effing suck. Oh, my God. He's just so Uh, funny and deserved it. I don't think there's anyone who was mad. I mean, other than the Vegas Golden Knights. But you know what I mean? If your team wasn't in it anyone was mad that he won that um most epic celebration that I think I could remember seeing in sports of all time yeah just crazy I'm sure there have been 
parties that parallel that celebration behind closed doors. But in terms of publicly partying that yeah, hard. Yeah, exactly. Publicly. Like in asterisk. front of cameras in the middle of the day. I mean, I didn't think Ovi was going to let that cup out of his sight. Do you remember? Worried. I was worried yeah. about his teammates. Like, yo, bro, are you going to let TJ Oshie have his day with the cup? Or are you just going to so hold it hostage? Everyone obviously has a team. And then I guess he had it for more than that. I don't know. I don't know if he got to have it for more days. But watching him give it back to Gary Bettman. Do you remember that? You must have yeah. seen it. And he's just holding it. And he, like, obviously gives it back. But just the look on his face, I was dying laughing. just because. But just, like, again, to a point we've made a couple times in this podcast... Obviously, he always would have been ecstatic to win the cup, but how much more do you think he appreciates it knowing how hard it was for him to finally get it? Way more. Way. Way more. Way. Way more. And we love Ovi. We both have always been huge Ovechkin fans, so it really has been the year of Ovi. I mean, everything happened for him this year. He won all the individual awards. Well, a bunch of them. He won the cup. He had his first baby. He's got 29 goals in 32 games. He's, like, on his way. He's on pace for, like, 60-something goals I wonder year. if they'd gone to the Olympics, if the NHL players had gone, if that would have happened. I mean, every you know, the not everyone's going, right? But the superstars on uh, – obviously would have been on Team Russia and I know a lot of Canadians uh, would have been tired as well but not all of them were as contenders let's say as much as the um, the Washington Capitals were so I wonder if that changed things but whatever that's a thought for another day thoughts with Sophia I think we got to the bottom thank God we didn't have a guest we were a little bit sad but that this is like the longest podcast we've ever done and uh, thank you for listening if you still are but please tweet us and let us know what sports taught you this year um, maybe anything that we talked about today might strike something in your brain. You can mm-hmm. also tweet us your thoughts on what we had to say in our list. Um, there was some fun stuff. There oh. was some more serious stuff. Uh, the poll. I totally forgot. The presence poll. Before oh, you go. <laughs> okay, wait. Let me wrap up this thing first. Okay, okay. So... Tell us what sports taught you this year. Use the hashtag Jack and Soph on your social media channels. Um, holler at us anything that you have to say about what we talked about today as well. Um, but also the poll. So last episode. So if you explain, because I'm going to pull up the results. Okay. So last episode, Jackie and I were talking about like good and bad Christmas traditions and sports traditions or holiday traditions, I should say. And she enlightened me with something I didn't think ever happened, but apparently presents from Santa Claus. When you're a kid, you get presents from family members and then some from Santa and the Santa ones are supposed to be according to Jackie and a certain percentage of people are unwrapped so you come down you wake up in the morning or at night or whatever you do your presents and there are a bunch that are wrapped from your relatives and friends and then the unwrapped ones are from santa i thought that was ridiculous i was like that's so dumb but jackie put out a poll i think you've got the results what are what are the results the results the results okay so you win your side of the poll okay uh 13,000 something votes Ooh. 55 percent to 45 percent holy that is so, so much closer as much as you thought like no way that's insane that's crazy it's not even close like you're you're a psycho weirdo <laughs> there are I would I would argue just as many people who do it my way that do it your way yeah no it is way closer so, than I thought I'd never yeah. heard of it before so thank you for everyone voting 13,000 thank nice. you for the votes thank you for the tweets about it um because it made me feel better about thinking I might have been a weirdo or my parents might have been weirdos or we just didn't do it. well right you are family. a weirdo but well yeah well I mean we already know that <laughs> anyways we hope that everybody has a happy holiday whatever it is that you celebrate we're wishing you the best happy new year to everybody and to everybody 
out there listening right now that has listened to this podcast, has followed us on social media, has even gone back um, from when we first started and watching our Instagram videos. Honestly, thank you. I think I speak for Soph. Like, we really appreciate you. Yes. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. We could not do this without your support. So um, thank you. Tell your friends, <laughs> comment, <laughs> review the podcast. And um, I mean, obviously I had to get a little bit of promo in there, but uh, yeah, we appreciate you and uh, be safe this holiday season, please. Yeah. See you in 2019. Bye. Bye. Bye.